Well, good Monday morning. This is Matt Hodell with the Bastards of Art podcast coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri. It's been a year since I did the last podcast and I have absolutely no excuses. These things come and go. You can already see that if you've gone through my channel here that I go in waves. And uh, if I don't really feel inspired to talk, I don't because I don't really feel like recording things that are just air or that are just noise or things that aren't relevant or or of importance. Um, Last year, uh, I got to hang out with Chris and we talked a lot about art and business and it was really tattoo heavy. And I kind of realized that, you know, I am a tattoo artist and so it's okay for some of these subjects to linger in the realm of tattooing. I think the feedback I've gotten from people is that... um, it still relates to what they're doing. The processes are still the same. And, um, you know, no one's getting left out. I was always afraid by, if I talked about tattooing too much, that people would be, you know, in on the outside looking in and they wouldn't really quite understand what, what it is I was discussing. Um, but, you know, that was pretty naive of me. I think most people get it. Uh, most people get the process of, you know, being an artist and, and the demons and the perks and the roller coaster that goes along with uh, trying to make a living by uh, just drawing pictures. Um, so, what is Basket of Art? I don't think I've really deviated from the main idea of Bastards of Art as a podcast, and it's really just a voice that says you're not alone. You know, there's other people out there trying to figure this stuff out. Don't let social media make you think that everyone else is smarter than you and everyone else is more successful than you. Um, that, you know, we're all just kind of winging it, you know, to a certain extent, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's a, that's a skinny of it, man. And there's no... I hear people talk about, you know, um, I'm in the dark. I feel like I'm in the dark. I feel like I don't know. And I just got to tell you, man, everyone's in the dark. There's no there's no answer. I mean, it's kind of one of those illusions that once you start to kind of figure out the game, all the pieces move and, you know, you got to start all over again. But with experience, you can acclimate to the new situations faster. And I think that's the only really difference between um, someone with experience in the art field and being an entrepreneur and someone not is that when you don't have that much experience, when the pieces change, you've relied so much on how much hard work you've put into it that the idea of starting over again and trying to learn the systems um, is, is just too daunting. But the thing of it is that they do change. They do. They, everything is constantly in flux. So with experience, you just learn to adapt with it. You know, I mean, just in my time alone, I mean, the big ones are the Internet didn't, you know, really play a major role in my career in the beginning. Social media did not play a major role in my career in the beginning. Um, and so I've had to adapt to these things. And even as social media has um, stuck around and, you know, thrived and made and braked, you know, people's careers, um, you even have to adapt to how social media works. So um, there's a lot of good books out there. One of my favorite books as far as marketing goes is called The New Rules of Marketing and PR. It's by a guy named David Meerman Scott, M-E-E-R-M-A-N, David Meerman Scott. 
and he puts a, an edition out every year. I think they're on their sixth or seventh edition, and he keeps everything kind of up to date. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that there's someone rewriting their book every year to kind of keep up up to date with what's happening in the world and, and how to apply yourself and how to put yourself out there is, you know, a thing. So let me just say, what did I do in the last year? that kept me so busy that I stopped doing podcasts. Well, one thing is, you know, having somebody else to record with, like when I had to record with Jonathan and I recorded with uh, Chris, is that I I felt accountable. You know, we had times that we met up and we had times that um, were designated to record. And that was important to me that that accountability kept me kept me motivated um you know and then chris got busy and i got busy and you know things just went by the wayside and in the interim over the last year i have started to get heavily into risograph printing that's r-i-s-o it's starting to gain some momentum i did buy a risograph machine and i got some drums um that's for the ink I'll explain that in a minute. And uh, I got big into that. And then I got detoured on a project that my buddy was working on. um, And it kind of helped get their company, you know, off the ground a little bit. Um, And that was fun. Did a little bit of traveling with that. Um, And now the dust is kind of settled. And I'm kind of back into the basics. I mean, nothing's really changed. You still have to be... Um, out there hustling, so to speak, um, doing the PR thing. So um, where am I right now? Right now I am back to the basics. Um, I tattoo for a living. That's how I make my money. I also make prints and I also like to do photography and I also like to write. Um, So I got a lot of um, different avenues to kind of explore and at any given one time I could kind of go off into one of those areas and and get lost and that's okay it doesn't bother me tattooing is the thing that i have to do every single day and that is what i think about the most but they all kind of cross over and um, help each other out and support each other um photography's helped me a lot with understanding you know range of values and uh, how light actually works and painting helps with uh loosening up and organizing space and shapes and Printing has helped me understand how to construct images um, in a different, uh, with a different approach. So let me talk about that for a minute. Um, what is risograph printing? Now this has got to be one of the coolest things I've ever kind of uh, fell into. I was introduced to risograph printing a couple years back, and I had an opportunity to buy a machine, opportunity to buy a machine, and I did. And they're not cheap, but they're not expensive. They're somewhere in the middle. Definitely um, isn't something that you can um, pick up at you know Best Buy, but what a risograph machine is, is it is a drum printer. And what makes that different than a Xerox machine is, um, a Xerox machine is a toner. So as a Xerox machine runs through, um, runs a piece of paper through, it uses a heating element to melt toner into the paper. So the really, you know, you, you can't really wipe off a Xerox copy. But a risograph uses a drum internally. And when you put the paper in and you feed it through, a risograph machine looks a lot like a Xerox machine. It's got a print button and it's got a scanner bed on top. The biggest difference being when you open the front cover, there's this huge removable drum with one color. Now that drum um, works 
like kind of like a silk screen. It burns a master of the original. And once that master is burnt, you can run an endless amount of duplicates of that master. So you put the paper in, you hit start, you can run a thousand. And as those papers pass through and over that drum and ink is smeared onto the paper, it's actually applied. It's a soy ink and it's actually applied on top of the paper. And so it does need some drying time. And if you pull that duplicate out of the, out of the tray, after it's printed, you can take your finger and smear it um, because it's not being melted into the paper like a Xerox machine. So what is attractive about a risograph machine? What is attractive about it is you can print multiple colors and get achieve different effects through transparency and textures. So for instance, if I wanted to print the color purple, I can actually print pink and then take that piece of paper, run it back through the machine, put a blue cartridge in or blue drum in, print blue on top of that pink and the the effect I'll get is a a color like purple. So uh, by running um, the different transparencies of different inks through the machine, you can get different results. Now, talking about this, I think, you know, if you just Google Rizograph, R-I-S-O, Rizograph, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, what a Rizograph machine was intended for was it was for small institutions like schools and churches. And it was something for in the 80s. Uh, they called it an operatorless printer. And what this did was um, it allowed these small institutions to run large quantities of flyers and brochures. Um at at a low cost Uh, and at the time Xerox was a competitor and Xerox was big and bulky and sometimes you needed to actually have a uh, operator on site to know how to work the machine this was an operatorless printer meaning like anybody could walk up to it lay a piece of paper down hit start and that thing would start cranking away it's an unbelievably fast it can run um, from 20 pound up to 110 pound paper through it. Um, mine goes up to 11 by 17 and you can put any custom size in, but because it wasn't ever intended for art, um, it has some quirks. One of the quirks being its tolerance for registration. That's the ability to, if I print a yellow square and the next time I run through a, a, a pink square, there is a four millimeter tolerance in any direction that these two squares might not line up even if the original file had it exact. Now that's kind of what turned me towards the Rizzo. It has this weird tangible, approachable, you know, um, error you know um it doesn't look so perfect like the digital world and that's that's what i've been looking for is to kind of get away from this perfection um and so some of the ways i've been using it is i've been you know taking photos running them into photoshop adding a little bit of texture in photoshop maybe and then running them through the rizzo where it gets printed again and things you you get these kind of happy accidents um especially when you start really messing with the images and running something through twice so say for instance if i did a landscape picture 
and I printed it out and I did a color separation, really simple. So I printed yellow first and then I printed blue second. I can get these really cool effects that the color space of a photograph didn't mean to capture. Um, so that's kind of fun. Also in my illustrations, being able to create textures and draw with textures in Photoshop and then export them as PDF files um, and then getting these really great results. Um, so another limitation is because you're printing on paper and it doesn't necessarily, there's a process called emul emulsification and that's when the ink kind of slowly dries and gets itself embedded into the um, paper. Well, before that happens, if you try to print a second color before the first color is dry, you get a lot of messy uh, duplications. So that's another drawback is if you don't let it dry long enough, your prints kind of look gross. Um, not too terrible, but you know, they do leave little blotches and roller marks from the machine's feeder onto your page. Um, and then the other thing is once you start you know, once you start getting up to three and four colors, uh, then, you know, if the things haven't dried for more than a day or two, then um, you're really just printing ink on top of ink because the first round of um, duplications um, haven't dried all the way. So the time, by the time you get to the third layer, it's, it's just kind of gross. But um, anyway, this whole entire process, what, what what's cool about it is, is that there's no, there's no, there's no real limitations. There's just things you got to work with when you build the file. Um, I like the, the construction idea of knowing, all right, if I want to achieve green, I've got to actually paint this with a first a layer of yellow, then a layer of blue, and then I'll get green. And you can cheat. And if you're familiar with Photoshop, you can, you know, use multiply layers to kind of see how how this is all working out and, and whatnot. But so anyway, yeah, I got that going on. Um, shop's doing great. Um, you know, it's always been my goal to make Ragtime a place to um, let artists choose the ceiling of their career. You know, um, it's really up to the people that work at the shop to, to see how far their careers can take them. And, and a lot of things that I talk about in the podcast as far as marketing and selling yourself and staying motivated and being an entrepreneur and um, selling yourself, um, you know, putting that into play in the shop and watching um, the artists there kind of grow and develop and even have their setbacks and see how they work through their own setbacks. I mean, that just helps me tremendously to see, you know, um, what works, what doesn't work and that I'm not alone, you know, and that there's no perfect, um, perfect, um, plan for any one person. Um, so yeah, I concentrated on the shop a little bit more this year, um, concentrated on printing more this year. Um, and then, you know, just, uh, concentrate on me a little bit more this year too, about getting outdoors more and experiencing life. I, I did step away from digital more often this year by, um, getting into landscape, uh, drawings and paintings, um, and just kind of learning other ways to feel uncomfortable. Um, and that's something I talk about a lot too, is that if you constantly 
um, you know, they, let me just back up and say your biggest strength is always your biggest weakness that people tend to stay inside of their strengths and they, the more that gets stronger, the more they're better at it, the less they want to feel uncomfortable again and go try things that may be awkward or weird. So for me, you know, I'm not, um, um, I'm not a painter. I'm not that that type of artist. Um, everything that I do is very formulated. It's been part of my career path. It's, you know, um, I get requests and I fill the requests. And so for me to actually just walk out into the world and say, hey, draw this, Matt, you can do whatever you want today. It's like I freeze up. So, you know, forcing myself in that uncomfortable world of learning how to landscape, learning how to play with shapes, learning new ways of, um, of using art, you know, using different mediums. Um, that's been another thing this year too. So anyway, let me just, um, kind of wrap it up here and and tell you, um, we're back. I'm back. Um, I don't really have such a stringent formula this time. The only thing I have is that I want to keep doing this. I really enjoy it. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback from it. Um, I am going to put together over the next few episodes, you know, of course, um, sprinkle in some more business aspects to it. Um, there has been, um, some situations I've gotten myself into where I've explained a few things, uh, over and over again. And it's this idea of, um, I see all the time where somebody has something, they have a product and their business plan is one, make product three profit. And they skip the two altogether. And that, that, that tends to be a very cloudy area for people of how to bring something to market, how to market it, what to make, um, how to have the conversation with the people you're making the thing for, you know, um, I think that's a, a touchy subject. A lot of artists like to make something and, and if it doesn't sell, they say, well, it's not for everyone, but you know, let's think about it. I mean, if we want to make a couple of bucks, why don't we have the conversation and see what people really want? So, um, I'm not saying you have to, you know, lower your integrity levels and, and do crap, but, um, I think there is a way to kind of, uh, approach the business side of art um, as well and kind of figure out how to look at things a little bit differently. I mean, business is really like one thing I've learned about business is it's mainly your ability to change perspective and your ability to keep things moving. Um, The people who can't change perspective get the same results over and over again. And the people who can't keep things moving are the types of people who constantly bottleneck the process. And so whatever it is they're doing always gets stopped or doesn't have a good flow to it. Or, you know, somewhere in the process, it just dies because they just can't keep things moving. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take the next couple of podcasts to probably talk about that. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. That's what I plan on doing. This should be episode 57. So, yeah, like uh, 58, 59, 60, you know, I think I'm going to work towards that and um, open a dialogue and maybe get a little more active on social media to see what people want and whatever. With that being said, thank you for tuning in to um, a long overdue episode of the Bastards of Art podcast. If you're a bastard and you do art, please stay tuned. Um, You can find me on on the webpage, which is www.bastardsart.com, Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, iTunes, 
I don't know uh, where else we're at right now, but um, yeah, man. Uh, hey, I'm back. I'm glad to be back. Talk to you guys later. Bye.